Hey, this is Dan Quiggle with episode 34 of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies podcast. A couple things before we get started with our special guest, Richard Ryerson. First, something I aim to help others avoid or overcome on their leadership journey is what I call CEO disease. I talk a lot about CEO disease in my speaking and leadership coaching. And actually, my team and I just released a new leadership ebook about CEO disease to help you overcome CEO disease in your leadership journey. We're starting to release more and more tools for you on this leadership journey. I want to be a partner with you and a resource for you on that. So I want to give you my new ebook as a gift. Just go to quigglegroup.com forward slash CEO disease to get your free copy. That's quigglegroup, Q-U-I-G-G-L-E group.com forward slash CEO disease. Also, we have a great guest this week on Garage to Goliath, and I don't want you to miss out on anything. So if you need a recap of this episode, you can get the show notes from this episode at quigglegroup.com forward slash 034. You can also find any links that we mention and more about Richard Ryerson, my guest, at quigglegroup.com forward slash 034. That's quigglegroup.com forward slash 034. Thanks. It's really up to the individual if they want to become a better leader. If you have the desire and the passion to become a better leader, you can become a better leader. It's easy to understand. It's harder to put into play because of the authenticity, the vulnerability, and the courage that's required of it. And that's why it's so difficult to do. And I think where people think that people have to be born with it and why it's so hard is, I mean, a lot of people are in love with the idea of leading, but the act of leading is so much harder than the idea of leading, right? So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group. That's what my show is about, learning from the best, how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath Leaders Building Legacies podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. So Richard was so kind to have me on his podcast, Dose of Leadership, when I released my book, Lead Like Reagan. And by the way, we'll link to that interview in the show notes at quigglegroup.com forward slash 034. And now I'm excited to have him on Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies. Richard has an expansive background with over 25 years of professional leadership service as a United States Marine Corps officer, corporate executive, professional aviator, and entrepreneur. And by the way, your podcast, awesome. You are changing lives. I encourage all my listeners to check out Richard's podcast, Dose of Leadership. Richard, thank you. Thanks for being here and talking with my listeners and me. First, can you just share a little bit about your journey, your time in the military, and maybe how and why you then transitioned out of the military? Yeah, sure, Dan. First of all, thanks for having me on your on your show. It's been a while. You know, it's it's been a minute since we we've, we've talked, and I'm excited to, to be back on your show. And so it's an honor, and I'm, I'm glad to see that you're in the podcasting space. And uh, I'm glad you came in. The water's warm, so uh, your stuff is is amazing, and I'm and I'm honored to be here. Well, I appreciate that. So, um. Yeah, so I joined the Marine Corps almost on a whim, um, and it's kind of funny when I look back at all the events that have led to any significance in my life, it was like almost an instantaneous gut reaction decision, and I was in college kind of focusing on entrepreneurship and radio and television broadcasting, and I was on the rowing team, and there was a guy, we were up in a regatta in Des Moines, Iowa, and we were sleeping on a, in a gym, and we are getting ready for gym floor and getting ready for bed. And this guy on my team had long hair, he had a USMC sweatshirt on. And I said, oh, were you in the Marines before you came into college? He said, no, I'm I'm going in the Marines. I've already gone to one 
first half off to cadet school, I'm, I'm going to go and I got a guaranteed contract to go to flight school. And I'm like, what? The Marines have planes? <laughs> and it was an education for me. I didn't even know anything about the Marines really, except from what I saw in media. And I didn't even really know they had an Air Force or planes or you could be a pilot for them. And we talked and he said, yeah, literally, um, the recruiter is going to be on campus on Monday. And so this was a Saturday night when I was talking to him. And then on that Monday evening, I saw the recruiter, talked to him for about an hour uh, and took a test and passed it to get a contract into flight school. And I swore in right that day and I came home and told my dad and he about fell out of the chair. So that started my Marine Corps journey. Went to officer candidate school while I was in college. And then when I graduated in 91, uh, went to an infantry officer school for six months. And then I went to flight school and then became a pilot. And I did that for 10 years from 1991 to 2001. And I uh, loved it. Great experience. Great examples of leadership. Saw bad examples of leadership, but which was which is also a blessing. But um, really got out because the airlines were hiring like crazy in 2001, and all my peers, my buddies ahead of me, were like, "Hey, you gotta! This is fantastic. The pay is great. The lifestyle is great." And so I, I bought it hook, like hook, line, and sinker, and got hired by American Airlines that summer of 2001, and did my last check ride on uh september 8th and september 11th was my first day after training and my first official day where i had an assignment and it was september 11th and i flew six times in september and then i was laid off and thrust in the corporate arena uh after september 11th because i had no one was hiring and that really began the process of the leadership journey or at least speaking teaching coaching leadership because i went from a mindset after september 11th from Oh my God, all I know how to do is fly airplanes to being thrust in the corporate arena, trying to reinvent myself and having that perspective of that time in the Marine Corps and realizing how much the Marine Corps taught me a lot more about life and leadership than I realized until I was away from it. And then that began, uh, I started applying those lessons in the corporate arena and also on my entrepreneurial journey and which led me to be on the podcast and eventually have this conversation with you. So that's my Cliff Notes version of how I got in the Marine Corps and why I got out. Well, I love it. And it just highlights the fact that we never know really what's going to happen in life and, you know, the direction that we're going to go and the journey that we're going to be on. And and so you you talked about the leadership lessons you learned while you were in the Marines. I mean, can you share with me maybe top one or two stories of impactful lessons that you learned during that time? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, probably the biggest takeaway I got and again, this all became crystal clear when I got away from it. You take it for granted when you're kind of around that situation. But, you know, from day one, you're you're always taught, particularly from the officer side, that it's never about you, that everything that we do, no matter what position you're in, I don't care if you're a pilot, I don't care. It's all about supporting that 18, 19-year-old trigger puller on the front line. And I love that kind of um, mentality. And everybody embraced that. And so... Even though everybody loved what they're doing, you you had this great sense from when it was running well and when it was firing on all cylinders. And if you had senior leadership that was communicating, they were they were they were maniacal about communicating what it is we're trying to accomplish and why. And so that was probably my biggest takeaway that came clear to me is that in the Marine Corps, it's all about focusing on what they call commander's intent. And if as senior leaders, you're maniacally communicating what it is you're trying to accomplish and why, then they push that leadership responsibility and more specifically a decentralized decision-making authority down to the lowest level possible. And 
to that so that whole decentralized decision making leadership culture which is tantamount to the Marine Corps' success. I mean, that's the reason why they're so successful. It's the only way they can thrive in a chaotic environment. It's, it's out of necessity to work in combat in this chaotic environment. Um, it works extremely well, and it's the only way that you can get people to essentially ask for forgiveness instead of permission. And so that kind of whole concept became crystal clear to me, and I saw it was so lacking in the corporate arena when I when I got thrust into that. It was still, by and large... Um, what I saw in the corporate arena was this kind of hierarchical, um, kind of bureaucratic decision tree, whereas opposed to the Marine Corps, my experience was the exact opposite. It was this kind of whole culture of empowerment and people making decisions at the lowest level without asking for permission. And so that, that it's not a specific story, but it's just the overall concept that just hit me like a ton of bricks when I got into the corporate arena that I saw was, was the major difference, the big lesson from the Marine Corps. Well, and I think it's still a challenge for CEOs and leaders today because, you know, I think a lot of people, as I go around the country, think that real leadership is being able to make the decision. I would argue that real success is allowing others to make the decision for you and empowering Absolutely. them, which goes directly to your story. I love that. And, and I imagine that you learn, you know, you learned a lot of great leadership skills in the military, just like you said. But there are a lot of veterans out there who are trying to transition. You know, they're, they're coming out of the military and they're, and they're looking for – a job, and do you have any advice for veterans on how they can better communicate how their military experience translates into value into the civilian world? Yeah, it, it can be a rough transition, and I and, I've, and I know it certainly was even for me to extend it. I mean, mine wasn't that bad, but I knew a lot of people, particularly people who stayed in for the full twenty years and essentially took command of a squadron, for example, or had the ultimate kind of leadership authority, kind of the coup de gras. You know, I've, I've worked my way up, and I eventually I became the commander of a squadron or, or a unit or something. And those people really struggle because, and, and people don't realize in the civilian sector, the biggest challenge is how much um, leadership authority is actually given to people at really low levels. I mean, so you've got 19, 20, 21, 22, 23-year-old men and women who are given a tremendous amount of authority that, you know, in terms of, personnel and equipment and logistical challenges and everything else that pales in comparison to what one would experience in the civilian corporate arena. And so that challenge is there. And so you expect to go out into the civilian corporate world and you're thinking, oh, well, they're going to understand that and they're going to respect that. And the reality is they don't know and they don't really care. And I kind of went into that when I was thrust in the corporate arena and thinking, well, look, they're going to be so impressed kind of arrogantly and naively thinking that, oh, they're going to be so impressed that I flew planes all over the world, did these real real world missions, refueling, famine relief in Kenya, did all these. And and the reality is I'm sitting around a group of people that are debating about which color a bird feeder should be, red or yellow, to sell to Walmart. And my ego and my arrogance kind of said, hey, why do we even care about that? And I kept wanting to tell people well, in the Marine Corps, we did this, or in the Marine Corps, I did that, and trying to show people how important my role was. <laughs> and and I remember arguing about, you know, like, I cannot freaking believe we're arguing what color bird feeder this is. This is a, a disaster. I, I should be flying planes, you know, and I was all thinking about myself. And I had a great mentor and leader in Boston, and I was kind of explaining to him, you know, how silly it was we're arguing about this. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Rich, he goes, I got 300 lives that depend upon are dependent upon we get this color right for Walmart. 
And that kind of was a wake-up call for me. So I would suggest that all of the people who are trying to transition to the civilian corporate world, swallow your pride, keep your ears and eyes open and keep in your mind open and keep your mouth shut for a while and kind of survey the situation and don't try to go in and tell everybody all the things you accomplished, right? Go in there, you know, that experience was great. And, and throughout your time, as you're going through the corporate arena, opportunities and examples will present themselves that you can share that experience and knowledge at the right time. But I would just say, just go in there with a, with, with an open eyes, open ears, open mind and a closed mouth and see where you can add value and don't worry about people not understanding what you did in in, in the military. Talk to your buddies and, and your other vet, veterans that were there, share those experiences, but don't go into the, the corporate arena and saying, well, this is how we did it in the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, the Marines, whatever. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I love it. And, and by the way, it reinforces what I hear from veterans, which is, you know, they, they argue that civilians don't know, you know, how to read between the lines. So I, I love this, and I think this is a great message for people to hear. And that's, you know, that's my goal as somebody who wants to help <laughs> veterans and cares very deeply about wanting to see them transition well. Uh, I think this is right on. And and I think just as a quick side note, a woman who works with me, Megan, her husband is a veteran, and they recommend this book called Tribe by Sebastian Younger as a book to help bridge the gap oh, yeah. between those who have been in the military and civilians. So it might be a good book for business leaders to pick up. So hopefully my listeners can can get that. But so based on your military experience and your experience in the in the civilian world, how can you help companies through through consulting and leadership development understand this and and, and find value? Well, for me, I think the, the biggest gap that I see or the vacuum that needs to be filled is I see a lot of um, corporate leaders, people who are aspiring for higher leadership roles, and even the ones that have made it to the C-level, there tends to be this focus uh, on their what they've accomplished uh, and their talent level, and there seems to be a huge dependency, or at least an idea thinking that the culture of the organization or, or the success of the organization rests within that upper level echelon of leadership. Now, don't misunderstand me. Obviously, leadership starts from the top, but I think what gets missed is the amount of influence that the people, particularly that are dealing with customers, those customer-facing roles, those customer-facing positions, the impact that those those frontline elements can have on the culture of an organization. And so many times I see the senior leadership, they're thinking about their success, their talent, uh, their strategic thinking, the strategy, the planning, the session, and they miss the tremendous opportunity for leaders to focus on the lower echelon and getting them to think and act like leaders, to get the leadership responsibility spread throughout the entire organization where they get everybody, and I mean everybody, to think and act like leaders at varying degrees of accountability. Don't get me wrong. It's not to discount the importance of senior leadership, but I think sometimes what I've seen is a tremendous amount of reliance on the success of organization and the talent that's in the upper echelon. And I'm not a big fan of that. I think you could have the most dysfunctional or the sharpest guy or gal in the top role, but the reality is the people that really affect the culture and can have a tremendous impact on the culture and the bottom line are those people who are on the front lines dealing with the customers day in and day out. And if the average, according to Gallup, engagement level of, of any uh, frontline employee is about 33%, there's a tremendous opportunity to move that needle 
towards the engagement level. There's a, t- I mean, you've got a, a place playing field, two thirds where you can move the needle to make hmm. or create more engaged employees. And what happens when you create more engaged employees? Everything happens. You get better bottom line, more creativity, less safety incidents, less turnover, higher retention, on and on and on. And I think that's what people miss, particularly in the higher echelons, that if you could somehow get people more engaged, and then, then the question goes, well, how do you do that to answer your question? Well, to me, where I think the senior leadership should be focusing on, they should be focusing on three things. They should, first and foremost, maniacally, and I love using that word maniacally, maniacally focusing on communicating, like I was talking about earlier, the commander's intent on what we're trying to accomplish and why, where the ship is going and why it's heading that way. You cannot it's in physically impossible to over-communicate that. And I think that should be the number one focus of the senior leadership, where we're going and why we're heading it that way. And making sure that every decision that we make is based upon that litmus test of where we're going and why. The second thing is making sure your key stakeholders within the organization know how their roles feed into that. And because if your key stakeholders with the alignment and clarity knowing where we're supposed to take this organization, know how their role feeds into that, they're going to be engaged. And then the third thing I think the senior leadership can focus on to drive that engagement needle is celebrate the high performers, those A players within the organization that are emulating the brand and 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 feeding that mission of, of driving that ship to where it's supposed to be going and why. And those are three low-hanging fruit things that I see senior leaders consistently miss because they're focusing on their talent, their strategic execution, satisfying the shareholders, all that stuff, and we're missing the boat on trying to gauge gauge the lower leaders within the organization. So that's how I think people can make the biggest impact. Yeah, no, and uh, again, just really appreciate that that advice. And and it goes back to, you know, I get to speak on college campuses also. I love it. It's addicting because you're around these very, you know, optimistic, right. they all think they can conquer the world mentality, you know, type of students. And, but what I love is, I, one of the things that I say is that you know, be careful because sometimes when we're in a leadership position, we try so hard to keep others down around us because we want to be the shining light. And as you go through life, right. I think you realize that, hey, real success is, is not keeping others down. It's building others up. And when they surpass Absolutely. you because they will, taking great pride in the role that you played in that. And and I just think that, it, you know, expanding leadership is what I heard you, you were saying is just, you know, how do you expand leadership? How do you empower others? And I I think that um, you're right on there. And, and and in line with that, you, you get to meet and coach lots of leaders. And if you had to point out like just one trait, like one trait that you think differentiates them, what would that trait be? Well, you're kind of hitting on, on what you were just saying in the last comment there. I think at the end of the day, uh, to me, there is this um, – these type of leaders that are that I want to emulate, the ones that I would want to work for, the ones that I've studied and seen who just accomplish these great significant things, what they all had in common was this sense of um, love. And I don't mean physical love, like the love that you have for um, your spouse, your kids, or even your, your puppy dog, but it's that agape type love, that love that demands that you, you sacrifice something uh, so others may prosper and others may live. And it's that sense of mentality where you're literally and figuratively laying down your life so that others may live. It's not saying that you necessarily die or you're, you're, you know, you know, literally die necessarily, but it understanding these leaders understood that it's going to cost you something. And they love that. And and because they know that the, you know, it's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your freedom. It's going to cost you your, your pride. It's going to cost you 
Uh, the sp- I mean, the spotlight's going to be big on you. I mean, so your rights actually go away. And those leaders that I just love completely understand that. But they also understand that that's the only way that you can truly um, experience the resurrection power of that type of leadership, the resurrection of, of, of a sustainable organization, one that, that lasts way beyond your tenure, um, where people's lives are transformed and changed for the better, where people where your your time and your energy is it's not about it is about the bottom line at the end of the day but it's more about leaders training and transforming other leaders and that's the type of level of leadership that we all should be striving for and few of us ever really get to but that's the trait that i think that there's this there's this feeling of love the agape type of love that sacrificial love that is is i'm going to sacrifice so that you may prosper but in the meantime you get all your needs they get their needs met exponentially more than if they were trying to be a little more selfish about it. Does that make sense? No, by investing in others. I mean, we should take great pride and we should appreciate all those around us because we w- wouldn't be there. No, I always say no one's doing this really on their own. I mean, you need that team. And right. why would you not want them to feel empowered and educated and appreciated exactly. and valued? And, and I use the word love all the time. So I'm glad that you do. And, you know, one of the biggest questions I get all the time is, can leadership be taught? W- what are your thoughts on that? Like, are Absolutely. you? In, in other words, are you are you born leader, or or can can it be taught that that ability to do that? Well, certainly, you know, certain people have a, a greater propensity of it than, than others, like anything else, right? And uh, but it's kind of like the same thing that said about entrepreneurship and leadership. You know, I think you're born with it. I think some certain people are born and blessed with certain leadership skills, but I think everybody can be learn can everybody can learn how to be a better leader and i would dare say that we all have that obligation because you know every single one of us can think of at least one person at least one where they look that someone is looking to us for influence and guidance i mean at least one and i guarantee you it's more than that and you're going to influence hundreds if not thousands of people throughout your lifetime without even trying without even trying uh, you're going to influence people. So to me, I look at le- as leadership as certainly as an opportunity, but I even dare say it's an obligation. Now, it do- doesn't mean that you're going to be a CEO or you- that you'll even lead a team to do anything. But um, yes, I think leadership can be taught because the basic principles of leadership are easy to understand. They're common sense. They, they- No one invented them. They are, they are precepts. They are-, they, are- they are ideas that just exist that it has existed since the dawn of man, and they're there for your taking. They're there for your exploration, and it's really up to um, the individual if they want to become a better leader. If you have the desire and the passion to become a better leader, you can become a better leader. It's easy to understand. It's harder to put into play because of the authenticity, the vulnerability, and the courage that's required of it, um, and that's why it's so difficult to do. And um, Everybody, a lot of, and I think where people think it's, people have to be born with it and it's why it's so hard is, I mean, a lot of people are in love with the idea of leading, but the act of leading is so much harder than the idea of leading, right? <laughs> because it's gritty, it's grimy, it's sacrificial, it's lonely. Um, but it's because it's emanating and it's rooted in love, it's the only way, it's the only true path to significance. So, so first of all, thank you. I have the biggest smile on my face right now because I, I want to cut that, what you just said, and have every high school student, middle school student, college student listen to that because we all have the ability to lead. And you've got you – know, yeah. it's, it's not easy, like you said, you, but you've got to make it happen and you've got to go down the right path to get there. 
And uh, so, no, I, thank you so much for that. What's the biggest pitfall, by the way? I mean, because we talked about, the, you know, the one trait that you see. What, what do you think is the biggest challenge from a leadership perspective? Oh, it's our, our own mind, ourselves. Um, it's, it's a struggle. It's a, it's a battle. I think that a lot of people don't enter into the leadership arena or any or anything in the arena in life. I mean, I, again, I see everything so interrelated with leading a significant, significant purposeful life is that understanding leadership, but it's ourselves. I mean, we don't jump into the arena or dip our foot in a leadership pool because we tell ourselves, oh, I, I don't belong in this space. And if people really knew I, you know, how, how unprepared I was for this position, they would, they would run me out of town and, you know, and I've come to realize, particularly from doing the show, I'm, I tell you from five years of doing the show and talking to over 350 people who've accomplished some very significant things, um, that never goes away. That resistance, that what I call slaying dragons, you know, the amateur, and that's most of us at some point in our lives, we, we, we spend a lot of time and energy and resources trying to slay the dragons that come up and block our path, you know, the obstacles. And we cut the dragon's head off that day and we, oh God, we put our arms around each other and we celebrate the fact that we slayed that dragon. And then the next day we're surprised that another dragon comes up and we're thinking we're doing something wrong because these dragons keep popping up. These obstacles keep preventing us from living this life that we have planned out. You know, the professional understands, look, there's always going to be a dragon. The fear, the uncertainty, it never goes away. It never goes away. The limiting beliefs, the voices in your head trying to prevent you from doing something significant will always be there until the day that you die. Some people that gets them frustrated, but I look at it since everybody's dealing with it, then I'm going to stop spending my limited time, energy, resources on on trying to to get rid of dragons. And instead, I'm going to try to figure out how to be the best dragon slayer there is. And being the best dragon slayer means hey, I know there's always going to be one. I know there's always going to be an obstacle, but just like the Stoics have always said, you know, the obstacle becomes the way, you know, hmm. it's like the Marcus Aurelius says, you know, it's that, that obstacle is going to define that, that obstacle is there and how you choose to, to tell the story about the obstacle and deal with that obstacle actually creates the path towards the significance, right? It's, it's never a linear path. It's always a jagged forward, backward, sideways sometimes stagnant path towards significance. And I think that's the biggest obstacle is our own limiting beliefs and our own mindset that prevents us from, from going forward. Fear and uncertainty and, and leaders, to me, always suspend the belief in how things are going to get done. They're living in a world of faith. They always suspend how things are going to get done. They just know they're going to get done, right? And that's, that takes faith. And see, and, and that hits home for me. So if, if I was going to be candid, you know, gr- grew up in San Bernardino, California. If you knew where I grew up, you'd say, okay, you know, I get to meet these very successful people. You say, you'll never meet those people. And there are times when I, I will admit self-doubt creeps in. I'm like, well, should I be here? Like, do I deserve to be right. here? But then I think, why not? Like, why not me? And it, But right. it's hard because, you know, all what society tells us is you should not be able to go from here to there, right? Because you should stay where you right. are. But I, I, it was so funny. And maybe it was the time when I was brought up because, you know, during those Reagan years when I was taught, you know, kind of anything was possible, that you could achieve anything yeah. because this is America. And, mm-hmm. and so I bought into that. Like, I truly believe that nothing could stop me except myself. And if right. I believe that I couldn't make those things, but it was it was tough. It was not easy, and and it still is to these this day. You know, I find myself speaking to large groups of CEOs, and you know, I feel the pressure to add value, to really make a difference. Maybe just because of of where I came from, 
But it's it, it's not always easy. I appreciate you bringing that up. And again, just such a great message for my listeners to hear. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a struggle for me daily too. I mean, and I I think even when I interviewed Steve Forbes, that to me it was early on. I interviewed Steve Forbes, and this was not on a recording, but I was talking to him kind of post mortem after our conversation, and we were talking about this. And I asked him, I said, well, when did you know when when did kind of the fearless decisions come into play. And he laughed at me and he said he woke up this morning with like huge imposter syndrome. Like he just, you know, was trying to, had trying to close a deal and he feels like, who am I? I mean, I'm not prepared, you know? So he has, it, you know and I mean? It's, you know, the only difference between me and Steve Forbes of our bank account, then why not me? Right. And so I, I, to me, it's liberating. And I think that for me, the powerful difference was is when I stopped looking at beliefs as either right or wrong, and instead beliefs are really empowering or limiting, right? And so I, th- I think that's a subtle but very powerful difference in how we can view life. Is this belief not so much is it right or wrong? Is this, is this holding me back or is this a, a, an empowering belief? Oh, and when you, when you ask that question of your beliefs, um, it, it really sheds a new light on it. And like, why, just like you said, that kind of epiphany where you go, well, why not me? Right. Why am I believing this? And you're like, this is holding me back. And yeah, I mean, Reagan was a great example of someone who's like, Hey, you know, this is anything is possible. And why not? You right. know? And, you know, it, it, uh, so much of it is perception and and the dysfunction side. And, and you talk, can you talk me through, I mean, you, you talk a lot about the 10 areas of dysfunction that make teams and leaders, you know, suboptimal. And and can you give my listeners maybe a tip or advice on, you know, how to move through or counter each one of these 10 areas of dysfunction? And for my listeners, because I, I loved, I, I've heard you talk about this uh, on the podcast. I've, I've, I've read some stuff. I, I just, I loved it. But number one, inept leadership behaviors. What does that mean? Do you have an example of, you know, how you've seen that play out in a team or organization? Yeah, I, I think it's important to understand that when we're talking about particularly senior leadership, um, when you're dealing with, uh, in an organization, we put so much emphasis on talent, right? And um, the higher you get up in the organization, the less it's about your talent. And it, it's, and it is all, almost always about human behavior. And so when we look at dysfunctions in an organization, we're almost exclusively talking about a behavior problem. And uh, a lot of times we think it's a talent. We got the wrong person. I mean, and we all have these kind of behaviors, you know, these kind of dysfunctions, if you will. And so from the inept, um, the inept uh, behavior side of it, um, I mean, God, there's so many. I mean, but it's just like it, it, they're thinking more about themselves than they are thinking about the team they're trying to lead. Right. And so, and there's this kind of propensity to always want to win and um, knowing uh, when to stop and, and, and stop passing judgment. I mean, adding too much value is something I've seen sometimes before. It's like you always feel like you got to be the guy that, you know, add our two cents into every situation, right? Or um, the kind of no, but whatever kind of. You walk in a boardroom and someone's, they think, hey, I got an open door policy. And someone comes in, hey, I got this great idea. And they go, yes, I like that, but, or however. So there's always kind of this, they're just so subtle, right? And so when you think of these, uh, but the overwhelming kind of inept leadership behavior, I think, is, um, again, just thinking it's about yourself and not 
having that kind of sacrificial love propensity towards other people. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and then you talk about silos and, you know, how do you, how do leaders get into them and can, Maybe you tell a story of a leader who successfully got out of one. I mean, because, you know, we get in these, you know, it's life and then it's all, you know, it's fun and then just for a short period and then it's back to business and you're kind of just so focused. Talk about the silos. Yeah, you know, in an organization, um, God, I can almost every organization I've worked in and every organization I've coached that has any, you know, any kind of decent size, um, there's this tremendous, I mean, look. The bottom line is, everybody wants to to matter and know that know that they're here and know that they matter. And so, if you understand human behaviors, it's it's not necessarily through malice or um, a sense of control necessarily. It's more about insecurity than anything else. And when you understand that, you can be a little more empathetic. But when you're dealing with silos, you're dealing with somebody who's insecure about losing their position or not getting the recognition they feel like they deserve, or uh, it, it's all of a scarcity mindset. And even though these individuals can be so sharp and so smart in every aspect, technically, tactically proficient, uh, great individuals, human beings, they're not bad people. Uh, but we get in these roles and we're like, you know, we, we, we've worked hard to get to this situation and a little subconscious or unconscious kind of fiefdom, kind of, I'm going to protect what I've worked so hard to, to get, right? And it's a challenge, but I go back to my Marine Corps example where we were told from day one, like, hey, I'm a pilot. I mean something. And it's easy to kind of sit there and think, hey, you know, because you have to pass a test and you got to have not only you got to meet the normal standards and requirements to be an officer in the Marine Corps, you've got to go above and beyond to get accepted to be a pilot. So just already through that, you're thinking, hey, I'm better than this guy who becomes a motor T officer, a guy that runs the motor pool, right? And the great leaders or the great examples of leadership make you understand like this isn't about you. It's about, like I said, that 18, 19 year old trigger puller. And so the way to break through those silos or those examples of senior leadership, it's bereft kind of reminding people um, what you're here to do. And that because you're in an IT department or because you're in the HR department or because you're in the accounting department, just because the CFO, you got to understand that you're here to support, you know, Let's just take an example like that, the, the sales position, right? That's usually the sexy position in an organization. And it's getting people to understand and, and, and that their um, con- contribution matters just as much as the sexy salesman. And the way that you do that is just reminding them what it is we're trying to accomplish and why. And that you are in, you know, reminding people, look, it ain't about you. You are in a support role. And you need to kind of take pride in the fact that you're working behind the scenes. and, and so it's there's never um, a black and white answer, but it does boil down to making sure that everybody's egos are addressed and that everybody, and reminding everybody that they do matter, and just because they're not out in front and center, um, you know, and breaking those insecurities that just because you know we're doing this doesn't mean you're going to lose your job or lose your tenure or lose you know it, it, it to me it all comes down to pride and making sure people's egos are serviced in a healthy way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. From this perspective, I mean, think about this. What, what do we know as leaders? They're probably not getting that at home. I mean, I mean that, right. that appreciation, no, that point. value. So we get to be that person. And it has to be real, of course. 
But we get to be that person. And again, why would you not want to? I don't even like making this statement, because, but it's real. But you know, sometimes we'll spend more waking hours that, with these people than we do our own families. So why would you yeah. not want them to feel you know, good about where they are and to love where they are and be appreciated and educated and pushed and supported, uh, these, these things? So I, I love that perspective. You talk about lack of innovation. And, and you know, so what gets in the way of, of innovation? How can we keep those roadblocks out of our lives? Well, I think bureauc- I think just the kind of the bureaucratic nature again, and goes to to ego and pride, and and thinking that the answers have to come from the top. I mean, I think the more that we can get organizations to kind of get ideas from, particularly in those customer facing organizations, getting their ideas, getting their input, is critical. Um, Man, I know when I was, and this it happens so subtly. And I can t- I talk about this stuff. I believe this stuff. But even when I was in uh, working for a hotel company, and I was a VP of operations, and had this idea for one, one of the parts of the brand was keeping it uh, maniacal. Again, that word maniacally clean and safe. We wanted these hotels because of an extended stay hotel. The challenge was a low price point. Um, there's this kind of impression of they're unsafe, and so. We wanted to keep it maniacally clean and safe. So we wanted to overwhelm you with the cleanliness of the of the hotel, and we wanted to be completely safe. So the clean part was easy. And, and as a pilot coming up with checklists and process and procedures and being in the Marine Corps, it was pretty easy to come up with a, a solution and an efficient way to keep the place maniacally clean. The safe part was the other challenge. And so I came, started working, working with local cops and leaders, and they want to keep places safe. And so we came up with a joint venture in my local town here where I was at, and we came up with a solution um, that would involve the local beat cops and get involved in the community. And we came up with a process procedure and worked well for the city I was in. And I remember thinking, long story less long, that, okay, I can systemize this. I want to make it easy for all my property managers. And I said this to myself. I remember saying, I'm going to do it so they don't even have to think. And I said that not in a disparaging way because I felt like I was doing them a favor. And so I came up with a binder and a checklist and all they had to do was follow the binder and blah, 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 this and that. Well, so unrolled, unveiled the program, all the binders to all the properties. And, you know, a couple of months go by and I'm like, hey, how come you're not implementing our new safe program? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. You know, here's the binder. Hasn't even been open. There's dust, you know, <laughs> collecting on it. And but you were so proud of my it. property man. Yeah, you know, I was so proud of it. And I said I worked hard on this, and I did. So here's a checklist. So you guys didn't have to think. And he goes, "Well, that's a problem." He says, "It doesn't." This, you know, it's a totally different city, totally different environment. He goes, "It doesn't work." You know, and and I'm like, "What do you mean it doesn't work?" And so he, he's like, "Well, like for example, this." And I don't have that type of relationship with our cops here. This is a different. It's a sheriff's department. You know, and anyway, there's all these little nuances I couldn't even possibly have thought of because it was different for the organization. So scrapped the whole program and turned it over to them. And instead, all I did was, here's the outcome that I want to accomplish on, right? The whole intent. This is what I want to accomplish and why. And once I did that and turned it over, all sorts of ideas came unleashed, right? I couldn't even think of it. But they overwhelmed me with the ideas and the processes and the, and the solutions to feed this overall intent. Things I couldn't even thought of, you know? And the, it was a huge lesson for me to understand, it's like, look, what I thought I was doing was doing them a favor, making it easy because they're already busy and buried 
you know, I was doing them a disservice and setting myself up for failure. But when I just told them this is what I want to accomplish and why, and turned them loose, the innovation blossomed. I mean, it's it just stuff I couldn't, I couldn't even have thought of. And the difference was giving them ownership of it, and it was their idea. And then the innovation came forth. And so I think that's the secret sauce to my long stories. Like, how do you create innovation? It's like, you've got to make it their own. They got to be the ones that come up with the idea. It's just like, in, even in negotiation, right? How do you win negotiations? You get the other person to think it's their idea or, or, or it is their idea that helps seal the negotiation. It's the same thing with getting the innovation to come forth in your organization. They particularly the ones that are customer facing or even on the shop floor that are, you know, coming up with the cost setting efficient, more efficient way to, you know, spot weld this fence item, whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, especially as a leader, it's recognized that we're not the ones doing that. So if you want to get the most effective way, go talk to the people who are doing it. They'd probably be happy to share it if you're willing to listen. And I think that, like you said, so many of us just kind of think, well, okay, well, we've, We've passed the test. We've done all these things. We're in the leadership position. We should be making the decisions. Um, you can learn a lot if we're willing to listen. And I, by the way, I have to keep reminding myself of that on a regular basis. So uh, <laughs> there's don't. no halo sitting over this head. I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I, I do believe that wholeheartedly. You know, I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to go ahead and put in the show notes the 10 areas of dysfunction. And uh, we're going through these, and I'm not going to talk about all of them. But Number seven, you talk about ineffective feedback and the reward system. And one of my favorite yeah. books is The Science of Success by Charles Koch. And, and in the Koch Industries oh, M- MBM system, one of the five dimensions of MBM is incentives and making sure incentives align with the desired outcome and goals. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, great book, by the way. And of course, another Wichita-based company where I live, but it's it's so true. I mean, I think that well, when we're talking about a reward basis, well, first from the feedback side, um, I think the feedback has to be authentic and relevant. And going back to what I said earlier about one of the top three things or the low-hanging fruit that a uh, senior leadership can do if they want to start making an impact in the organization is effectively recognizing those high performers in the organization that are emulating the brand that are, you know, that is so powerful, but it has to be authentic. It has to be genuine. It can't just be a gift card to Applebee's or, you know, it has, it can be a simple, it has to be authentic and it has to be in front of everybody and it has to be genuine, authentic, and it means a lot and it's so powerful. So that's, that's the, the feedback piece. Um, but the incentives, absolutely. Um, we think it's all about uh, money and and benefits and everything else. And I'm sure we all want more money. I think even on the surface as employees, we think of course, we'd want, we all want more money. Um, but you know, and I know, I've never left a job. I thought it was about leaving for the money, but I left because of the leadership, you know, or the lack thereof. And gosh, people will do crazy things for you all day long if they feel like they're part of something unique and special, if they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And so the incentives have to be, you know, tied into the basic human needs of wanting, understanding that everybody wants to know that they're here on this planet and that they matter. And so if they can, you know, even tailor their incentives, surely it can be financial, but if they can be tailored around feeding that kind of, that want and that need, those kind of Maslow's needs that that we all desire and have, man, I think you're well on your way. And there's no rule book on what, you know, there's no limit on what you can and cannot do, right? And I think that if you reward people for 
success and stop worrying about the kind of the fa- the fair aspect of it and just reward people for emulating those positive behaviors, you're going to see dramatic results. Um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Well, I, I think that first of all, I, I love that you're talking about this because I think that as leaders, sometimes we just think that that gift card is going to make them happy. I, I think that we need to give personally. Two things happened to me in my kind of leadership journey that really changed me. One time I was speaking to a group of CEOs and this guy raised his hand. He said, Dan, my thank you department. And I stopped. I said, stop right there. Tell me everything. He goes, yeah, we take our top 50 clients. We analyze everything about them, not just birthdays, anniversaries. No, what's their thing? Like, is it cigars? Is it a band? Is it a, a musician, an athlete, a team, a college? And then we thank them the way they want to be thanked because we should. And, you know, I went straight back to my company. I mean, I created that because I, I love the idea and the concept. And not just to my, my clients, but my employees, my best assets are going up and down in those elevators throughout the, you know, the state all day long. And thank them the way they want to be thanked. And then the other thing, early on in my business career, I had a business mentor, Ron Bailey, I built Strayer University, just the king of what I call my kitchen cabinet. And he said, Dan, don't ever give out a turkey at Christmas because unless you give them a bigger turkey next year, you know, you just slighted them. And uh, <laughs> right. and he said, and 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 you know these 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 yearly bonuses they become entitlements and people they they yeah. you know factor that in. So he told me he said, Dan, I want you to give aggressively, generously, and randomly. And I just remember that, and so I do that, yeah. or I try to at least. I mean, no one's perfect, but you know to to do it on on my terms, but make sure that I thank on a regular basis, or at least let them know that they are appreciated because they should be. And so I, I love you talking about that. Not only just the reward, but the feedback, and and you know how much does it cost us to tell somebody they're they're doing a great job? Nothing, just the emotional intelligence to understand it matters. Yeah, and, right? I, and I think, and I, right, and I think back to the the ones that have meant the most to me. It wasn't some, and, and both military and in the corporate arena, and it was never, you know, the fancy tchotchke or you know the plaque and none of that stuff. Even I don't care about any of this stuff. But man, it was the, it was the post-it note by the CEO that was left on my computer screen. He goes, Hey, I stopped by. You weren't here and I'm leaving from a trip. We'll catch up when I get back. But guys, thank you for staying late. And, and that great presentation, it made the difference. And it was a handwritten on it, just a yellow sticky post-it note that meant more to me than, you know, here's your five-year pen or, you know, whatever. And we forget how significant those little touch points can be. And the other thing, part of it too, is if it's particularly if it's related to the behaviors that you want to see emulated in the organization, that is where the culture can really turn around. And celebrating behavior it doesn't have to be a sales milestone or it doesn't have to be, um, you know, closing the deal. It can be, hey, I noticed Judy was here last night. And I saw her, I was walking out and she picked up, you know, the trash and she didn't have to, something, you know, just behaviors. And that can really have an impact on the culture of an organization. And um, I don't know. Yeah, it, no, or, it, or just staying me, late. I mean, just recognizing that, you know, I, yeah, I, I recognize listened to this person late, the other right. day, the head of a company. So she she was in a key position and she said, I don't think the owners know how long I'm there. The one owner comes in early and leaves, you know, and leaves early. The other one comes in late and leaves late. But I'm there when the first one gets there and there when the last one leaves, but nobody's talking about it. So she felt very you know, unappreciated. And and so, you know, that's easily rectified is, is recognizing that these people around us are working hard 
and and they're putting in time and they're yeah. taking time away from their own families. And by the way, what I love about what you talk about, Richard, is that, and and I want my listeners to really listen to this. It's not just about business. I mean, th- these thank you cards, no. this this little note, this little you know thank you as you're walking down the hallway can be done at home, and and with the family yeah. and with the kids and recognizing. You know their success and 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 the time that they put in and the love that they give on a regular basis. I can't agree more. And it's it's something that's so easy to understand. It's easy to do. I I won't even say that it's hard because it just takes a little thought. And it's like, well, how, you know, what can I do? And just a little thank you, and just understanding the impact that has to people. Um, it's hard to measure. I mean, I think back to all the great leaders in the Marine Corps and in the corporate the ones that just, you know, every Thursday one. CEO that worked for one owner and he'd walk around and he would just walk around and talk to everybody for five minutes. Didn't have to be. And people remember that. And they still, to this day, they talk about that. And I don't know. It's just powerful. So, so we're, we're talking about all this good stuff. So let me switch gears for a second because uh, now if I was going to ask myself this question, it'd be a long, long list, I'm sure. But can you tell a story in your life when you weren't leading well? Like, you know, how, how did you know you weren't leading well? Yeah. How long do you got? You know, how long is this podcast? Because, yeah, the list is wide and long, unfortunately, for most of us. I know it is for me. Uh, you know, gosh, there there are times when, um, certainly in my personal life, you know, you, you, you just to be candid, almost getting a divorce because um, I was so focused and and um, you know, I think two of the two of the biggest crimes that we deal with as as human beings is we based our validation on the things that we accomplish and what other people think of us. And that describes pretty much the culture that we live in in this day and age. And that kind of dependence on doing accomplishing something and getting approval feedback to give us self-worth will lead to being an approval addict and doing things and take your eye off the ball and, and off a lead. No, that's not leadership. That's a leadership failure. And certainly doing that, you know, 10, 11 years ago where I was, not getting that feedback at home and because of my lack and my limiting beliefs and not fully understanding. And so I focused on my energy and work and got the feedback and the approval from there. And that meant, you know, okay, instead of working eight hours a day, I'm working 12 hours a day. Then I come home, you know, I've got uh, crying kids. My wife needs a break. And she's like, where were you? And I'm like, I'm doing this for you and the family, you know, I'm not right. And it's it's not being a leader in every aspect of your life. And that, you know, led to having divorce papers and bad decisions on my part and divorce papers being served to me. And that was a splat moment. And and that forced me, unfortunately, I didn't have to be that way, but for where I was at and for the decisions that I made, it was a wake-up call. And I'm still working on it today, 10 years later. And, but it's, understanding that leadership is every aspect of your life, right? It's adding value. It's never about you. Um, you know, how can I be this authentic, vulnerable self in every aspect of life and add value and, and playing the long game and remembering where you're going. So that's, that's a huge failure from a personal level that bled into my professional level as well. But it, it also led to even again, having this conversation with you today in the podcast and everything else that I'm trying to get all leaders to understand. I mean, there's certainly a handful, in, even in you know uh, the Marine Corps side and in the civilian sector, where you know I didn't take um, 
understanding what the accountability meant, you know, at the fullest extent, you know, and, and people taking, uh, even though maybe they failed in their functional leadership responsibility, I didn't take the full accountability and protect them like I should, if that makes sense, right? For a, for a minor thing, it wasn't like, a, you know, no one got fired or anything, like that, but just saying, hey, you know, I'm the one that's accountable. You know, understanding the difference between accountability and responsibility where you've got people you're account- you know, that have leadership responsibilities, they fail in that even though I didn't do anything wrong and not taking that accountability. Does that make sense? No, it no, it totally it totally does. And 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 first of all, I appreciate you being candid because I mean, listen, we all have issues in our life. I mean, I always say if there's a psychiatrist couch over here, we we probably each lay there for a little while and talk about some of our right. challenges and stress <laughs> right. and you know everything in life because we're being pulled in a million different directions. And there's no guidebook to this. We're all winging it. You know, we're all just trying to make right. it through and right. and be the best that we can be. And you know, there, there's a question that I love to ask, and I hope you don't mind me asking you. But I, I just I'm curious to what your response would be. But what one piece of advice would you give your 20 year old self, and why? Oh man, I would certainly tell myself the 20 is stop worrying about what other people think of you, and and instead. Um, and trying to accomplish, you know, it's like, well, if I just accomplish this, then I'll be happy. If I just get to this income level, this, if I just get this job, it would be this. And instead focus on every transaction. How can I add value to this transaction? How can I add value to this human being, this individual? And the beautiful thing about it is, and it's easy to understand if you're, your significant other, your spouse, your kids and but what can you do to add value to the situation and make the campsite better than you found it? Because I think that is the obligation that we have on the, that each and every one of us have is that we are here from Boy Scouts, right? To make the campsite better than you found it. And if you focus on that, you're not focusing on yourself. You're focusing external and making the campsite better than you found it is how can I, you know, add value to this because every transaction with another human being is an opportunity for leadership development and growth. Every transaction, <laughs> from the awesome. cashier at the quick shop to you know the stranger in the street to the neighbor that you don't like, there are opportunities, endless amounts of opportunities where you can add value. And I, and so that's what I would tell myself is like, how can I add value to this situation? Because it takes, then it gets you out of your head. It gets you out of those limiting beliefs, the self-talk. It gets you out of the approval addict phase of where you're trying to accomplish something to achieve some, you know, some validation, and you, then you're seeking the approval of that, and it just starts this vicious cycle. And this is why you see so many people unhappy, and with with their lot, right? And so the because real question is, I've been, yeah, the real question is, would you have listened to yourself at twenty? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, you know, because I would like to think I would, but I mean think about how you were when you're 20, right? I mean, and I have this conversation with my 20-year-old daughter now, and maybe I would, you know, because my daughter's a lot, I think my daughter's a lot, my oldest daughter's 20, and she's a lot more mature than I was at 20, and she seems to listen to that, but even then, I hear her, and I think it's just part of the life going through. She's like, oh, if I just get this job at Starbucks and think, and then now it's eight months later, oh, I hate Starbucks, you know, <laughs> I hate this and that. And it's like, well, it's because you're chasing the position, the title, the image, the idea of whatever. But you just need to experience that, right? You need, at some point, life's going to knock you on your ass, right? You're going to get thrown back. And it's all those times you get knocked on your ass and get back up. 
and it's that dusting off period and reloading and reengaging that's making sure that you go, what did I learn from getting knocked off? I mean, I think we all have to go through that. And at some point when we get into our forties and our fifties, then we start to be a little more, our perspective is a lot different, right? So, and the problem is when you're 20, your perspective is so limited. And it's not to say that you're not intelligent, you're not desirous, you're not ambitious, but I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think you just got to get knocked on your butt every now and then to Have you heard Alan Watts, uh, What Do You Desire? Have you seen that video? It's, I think Alan every Watt, young person huh? should see it. Essentially, it says, you know, what you need to do is find your passion and master it. And there will be enough crazy people on this planet that will pay you to be the master. And then it shows a right. dancer and it shows a snowboarder, shows a kid playing video games. And the next scene in the video is that kid, you know, standing at the top of the snowboard ramp, tattooed in sponsorships, and the dancer coming across the hall at Carnegie Hall. And the the video game guy talking to, you know, thousands at a, at a video game conference. And it just shows you that, you know, like you said, I mean, if you can really kind of just be yourself and find what you love and, you know, try to make a living doing it, what a great life. And, and we, you know, we learn yeah, things think- like, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that I think that I would have told myself, be focused on being authentic, vulnerable, and courageous. I think if I heard those words when I was 20, I think that would have done a lot for me. Hmm. I think because those are three things that we suck at as human beings, but to me, they hold the key to significance. If I can be authentic, I can be vulnerable, I can be courageous, you, you, can, you can do anything in this world. And that's how I see it. Wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to talk to my my kids about those tonight. I mean, that's I, I love those three, <laughs> and and so clearly, you know, you've had this great success, and you're continuing on, and 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 I love when you talk about significance because I'm a big believer in you know how do you go from success to significance? That 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 saying is just yeah. a neat saying, but who has had a, a significant impact on you as a leader, a mentor? Oh man, you know, obviously, my you know, looking back post-mortem at my father's life I, and it was kind of crazy because when I was growing you know my father was so when I was growing up he was so introverted didn't want to try new things he was okay with you know where he was at he worked at two places once he got out of the navy college he worked at two organizations that was it his whole life and I remember being frustrated that he wasn't entrepreneurial he wasn't this and that and as I got older and he and particularly as he approached death and after he died even and seeing the impact on the lives that he made and just looking at his funeral and the people that showed up I mean, the numbers of people that showed up and how he was such a man of influence and he didn't even know it you know and and so that was a huge impact for me and someone who didn't seek leadership roles didn't seek the spotlight but yet he was so generous so giving so authentic, so vulnerable, in a lot of ways, very courageous. Um, and that's just the way he was and the influence and the impact that he made. So that was a huge lesson for me, uh, even in the last 10 years of, of seeing that you don't have to be the person out front of the title to be a man of significance and influence. Um, certainly, I've had great mentors along the way uh, in the business and the Marine Corps in the business setting, you know, people every now and then it's a conglomeration of people who reminded me that, you know, it's not about you or uh, how to act in a stressful situation, how to remain composed in a stressful situation, how to do the right thing. And I, there's so many, but I think my father is probably a, a big one. I think externally, um, leader and Reagan was huge growing up just like you. I mean, we were kind of the same age. And as I was growing up and seeing that, 
and again, a lot of it's post-mortem because when in the middle of it, you just kind of, that's my first real exposure, you know, to politics or when I started really caring about it anyway. I mean, Reagan was huge, I think. Well, clearly you're very intelligent. (laughs) What's that? I mean, clearly you're very intelligent. I mean, you're using Reagan and your father. I mean, you know, great. That's, that's awesome. I love that. Um, and, and feel the same. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting how, what an impact these people can have on your life. And like you said, you don't even know it from your father. You At first you're frustrated or maybe, you know, wondering why he was an entrepreneur and then look at the impact he had. I mean, what a testimony to his success. And then, I mean, how, how proud would he be to sit and see your success today and the impact that you're making? Yeah, and you know, and, and it, it, it's kind of shameful that I was frustrated with him and, you know, didn't really kind of held it against him. But the thing in post looking back at it in the proper perspective, he was authentic and he knew who he was. That's not who I am. Right. And he said, I'm playing in my lane, you know, and I'm okay with it. Well, I, and, uh, that, that takes strength. And it does. And, and, and I know that, you know, part of that is, is, is kind of being where you are and being there fully. And, uh, you know, how, and I knew you, you know, you talked candidly about some of the challenges that you've had with family over the years, but, how have you maintained presence in in the lives? I mean, what, you know, you got you got daughters. You, what is the strategy to lead effectively at, at home and at work? Man, I wish I I wish I was better at it. I mean, even then, I mean, just even this week having conversations with you know my wife, and she says like, you just seem so withdrawn about this because I'm I said, well, I'm thinking about this and where do I go with the business and this and that, and so even now I find myself trying to solve it by myself and not sharing that. And even just yesterday, the day before, my wife said, well, it would be nice if you would just tell me where you're going, because when there's a vacuum there, as she put it, you know, I'm going to fill it with something. And it's usually worse than what the truth really is. Right. And so it's still a a constant battle for me now. But I think it's just I think it's taking the time. And particularly when I find myself when I find myself missing the mark is when I find myself full of anxiety, full of my, my stomachs and knots. My throat's tight. I'm trying to control, you know, like, I got to get this. I got to close this deal. I need more cash flow here this month. And, you know, you just start thinking, you're trying to start to solve, which I'm all about taking action. But, man, I can get so involved with taking action that I forget to take the time to kind of just relax, breathe, meditate, start with gratitude. And I think if the more that I can, to answer your question, to get back to the mornings where I start those kind of disciplined consistency habits of when my feet hit the floor, I say a thank you prayer to like, hey, at least my feet can hit the floor. You know, I'm thankful for my bed. I'm thankful for this. And I know that may sound hokey to some, but if I can start with gratitude in the morning and if I can and start broadening my perspective and things of things I'm thankful for and then meditate and read, pray, um, exercise, whatever the case, if I can do just spend 30 minutes to an hour with just me and not focusing on the external, then it brings me back to that perspective that you're talking about. And I got to work at it. I really do because I'm such a, like all of us, I feel like, you know, I got to accomplish, got to go, got to go, got to do, got to do. But sometimes you got to pull back. You have to pull back. I think that's a challenge for all of us and it's not just, you know, I get this all the time like I just work, I work, I work and then I get home and I feel so much pressure and I actually feel guilty and in my speeches I talk about, 
you know, I, I gave up work-life balance years ago because I don't think it's real. And I switched to something it's that not saved real. me. It's no. called work-life presence. So if they have three hours, I'm going to give them the best three hours they've ever had in their entire life because right. Down's going to go the cell phone and the conference calls can wait and, you know, and just be there and, and actually listen and talk and, and rest with them and, you know, just, just be in that moment. And it's not easy. And I guarantee it's not easy for anyone listening, any of these listeners or myself or you, but it should be at least a goal we should try to attain. You know, it, it, and I'll, I'll finish with this, Richard, because you've given me quite a bit of time today, and I really appreciate it. But when I speak and I end, I, I often uh, talk about legacy. It's a big topic for me. And I ask people to think about this question. I say, I, I, I say I'm going to say this question. It's going to mess with me mentally, <laughs> and I won't be able to think about it afterwards, you know, for hours. But I just I, I want to ask you this question. And you have kids. But the question I ask is, you know, how will your children describe you to their children? And then I say, not what they would say. In your wildest fantasy, what would you want them to say? Richard, what would you want the kids to say? Man, it's a great question. I would love them to say that he, no matter what the situation was, no matter how stressful, no matter how difficult, um, he was always there, and he's always had a calming presence about him. He was always cal- he's always calm. He was always composed, and he was always there for me. And um, no matter what the situation was, he was always there to be a calming, reassuring force. And he allowed me to be. Um, and I have four daughters. And he allowed me to be. You know, the woman that I am today because of his guidance and his leadership example. I mean, I just, I, I hope that's what they would say, you know, that I was always there for them and that I was always a calming, reassuring, confident force. Yeah. And that's, that's not easy, but let me tell you, it, it's, it's definitely a good goal. First of all, I, I, you know what my hope is? I mean, I hope these, these daughters are listening to your podcast. Cause I mean, you are helping so many people and making such a big you know difference in their lives. I mean, you've affected my lives. I've, I've loved listening to your interviews. And so, you know, first of all, thank you, Richard. Uh, you know, really appreciate today. Loved this interview. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, links, social sites. Yeah, doseofleadership.com is a great place to connect with me. Um, certainly, it has links to all my Twitter feed, my Facebook feed, um, and LinkedIn profile as well. And you can find me on LinkedIn. I always connect. Uh, I love to hear from people directly. I always tell my fans of the show, listeners of the show, let me know where they're at in their leadership journey. It doesn't cost them anything. And then it's amazing some of the emails I get. And we just, I just chat back and forth and you know, no obligation to that. I just love hearing where people at in, in their journey. And um, and so doseofleadership.com is the best way to connect. Richard at doseofleadership.com is a good email. And uh, again, you can find out all the information about the show there, my consulting and my speaking services and my Legacy Leader Blueprint uh, video course, which is a great introductory uh, model, if I can shamelessly plug that. Absolutely. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, by the way, I'm going to include all these in the show notes too at quigglegroup.com forward slash 034. That's quigglegroup.com forward slash 034. So I'll have all of those links. I really encourage everyone to reach out to Richard. Uh, he's not only a great speaker and has a great podcast, but he's also a coach and can help you in, in many different ways. So please do that. And Richard, if you ever see the opportunity for us to get together, let me know. Uh, love to work with you and, and just love to talk to you more about how we can do that. But in the meantime, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, really appreciate it. 
Dan, and thank you. And yeah, for sure. And now that I know where you're at and that like, I'll be coming to visit out your way soon. So we'll definitely get together and, and have some uh, beer and dinner for sure. So thank you for the, having me on the show. It was a, a great honor. That sounds great. Thanks, Richard. Remember, you get a free copy of my leadership ebook about CEO disease at quigglegroup.com forward slash CEO disease. Also, as a reminder, if you want to learn more about Richard, get a recap of this episode of Garage to Goliath, you can get the show notes at quigglegroup.com forward slash 034. And don't just listen to the show. Subscribe in iTunes at quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes. Subscribing helps others find the show. And please leave an honest review. Your reviews help get me better as a host, which I want to be, and help make this podcast better for you. And share with your friends. I'd be grateful if you'd just share the podcast with others on social media or send a quick email or text about the show to another leader that you think would enjoy the podcast and it would encourage them on their leadership journey. Thanks. Thanks.